0: I raise my hands. Praise the God who gives and takes away.
1: So, I bet you're all excited because there's only three notes in your bulletin. So, you think, hey, this is going to be a 20-minute sermon. We're going to be out of here. Wrong. I'm sorry, that's probably never going to happen. I just don't know how to do that. So, I, I apologize. Today, though, we're going to look at at forgiveness and reconciliation in the book of Philemon. And we're probably not going to read any of the book of Philemon. So hopefully you've read it this week because I'm just going to refer to it. But there's going to be lots of scripture just uh, so you know. So uh, if I get to my right slide, there. So the need for forgiveness is this week's topic. So. My heart today is that, and, and, and my prayers for this week that I've been praying as I've been studying this, that you get, at, you get as much out of this sermon as I have this week, really, because it has is, it is touched me to, to, to realize and to look back at some of the times in my life where I've had to be forgiven or forgive, but before we get started, I want to give you a quote from John Owen, a English theologian and pastor of the 17th century. He was one of the first children, the first prolific children book writers too, as well as being a ph- theologian, which I think is awesome. That and and the books that he wrote were, were on uh, catechisms to teach people to teach children how to, what this means, what does God being all powerful mean? And he wrote children's books about that. And actually John Owens, even though he wrote in 1670, 1650 area, he's not that hard to read. It's not like some of the old theologians and you, you read on them and you're like, oh, what's he saying? No, John Owens was more of a, a a down-to-earth writer. So, But he said this, About forgiveness. And I want these words to sink in to you today. I want them to soak all the way into your soul. Because it's pretty powerful. Our forgiving of others will not procure forgiveness for ourselves. But our not forgiving of others proves that we ourselves are not forgiven. That's a pretty lofty statement right there. You don't have to forgive, because that's not going to save you. But if you can't forgive, you're not forgiven. You're not saved. Because here's the thing is, and we'll talk about this in a little bit even deeper. You don't understand what you've been forgiven from, if you can't give forgiveness. So, I'm going to start in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you get that all? All. By the way, in the Hebrew, all means all. All is all inclusive. It didn't say some of us or many others or few of us have gone astray. It said all. That's everybody in this room and everybody that has ever lived and that will ever live. All have gone astray. And what we have, all of us done, have gone astray. And what did God do about this? What did God do about this problem of us all going astray? He laid upon his son, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Basically, he paid for your sin. He put all of the weight of your sin, my sin, and everybody that is ever going to exist until he comes back, sin on Jesus, on the cross. He paid for your and mine and your sin. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us so much that before the beginning of time, he knew what we were going to do. God God is omniscient. He knows everything. So you think before he created the universe, he didn't know what humans were going to do when he created us. He knew that we were going to sin. He knew that we were wanting to be like him. Yet he still created us. He created us out of love. But he saves us for his glory he created us out of love but he saves us for his glory see we all need forgiveness see everybody needs forgiveness every single human being needs forgiveness People say, what about that baby that was just born? Babies are the most selfish human beings that have ever existed. All they do is want and need. You don't have to teach. Do you have to teach a child to sin? I didn't have to teach my kids to sin. They were professionals. Professionals. I didn't have to teach them to bite each other. I had to tell them it was wrong. But I didn't have to teach that. It's not like I'm going around biting them or biting my wife so they can learn how to bite bite other kids. You know, we're born sinners. See, just as Onesimus needed to be forgiven, we need to be forgiven. See, Anissimus accepted Christ in a prison cell with Paul. See, I think before we can go any further, we need to recognize our need for forgiveness. God is an all powerful, all knowing God who is completely holy, separate. See, we are not, because we are fallen creatures. We are not the way we're supposed to be. This is not what we're supposed to be like. We're not supposed to have pain. We're not supposed to need glasses. You see, we can argue, why does God do miracles? Why did Jesus do miracles? Did Really, what is a miracle? Something out of the ordinary, right? But here's the thing is, we call Jesus' miracles miracles, yet all he was doing is putting, putting the world back in order. Are blind people supposed to be blind? No, they're supposed to be able to see. So when he gave a blind man sight, he was just putting it back the way it was supposed to be in the design. Are crippled people supposed to not be able to... Are people not supposed to be out of walk because they're crippled? No, we're supposed to be out of... We're supposed to be out of walk. We're supposed to be out of function. All Jesus did was fix what was broken. Even, even the first miracle, we call it, water into wine. He just sped up the process. Water came into jugs and he made it turn into wine. Water... Goes into the grapes, fills the grapes up so they can crush the grapes and make wine. All, all Jesus did was speed up the process. He was fixing a broken world. We're broken. We need fixing. We're not holy like God. We're not complete like God. We will be, one day, not like God, we will be fixed. Because we'll never be like God. We'll never have complete understanding. So if you go, one day I'm going to understand all this stuff that he's doing in the world. I'm going to tell you you're sadly mistaken. You're never going to understand it all. You're never going to understand God 100%. Because if you can, you will become God. See, we can't be in the presence of God Else we will burn. That's what the Bible teaches. But God loved you and me so much, he said to his son, I'm going to need a sacrifice to pay for the sin of these people I created, we created. Because all actions have a reaction. Everything you do has a reaction. You can't do something without a reaction. So we need saving. We can either pay the price or Jesus could pay the price. I'm glad Jesus paid the price. See, it's like how many times have you heard, if God is so loving, why would we need to punish people? Why does God need to punish people? If he's really so loving, because that's the one attribute. We we focus on like two attributes of God. His love and his grace. Because they're the good ones. Okay? But God is wrathful too. So God needs to have a punishment for the crime. See, it's like this. If a man came into my house tonight, And killed all of my family. Okay. And now he's in front of a judge. And the judge asks some questions like, So, what do you do for a living? And he goes, well, I'm one of the best doctors in the world. And I have saved so many lives since I've been a doctor, hundreds of lives, and the judge answered, "Well, why did you kill this man's family?" And the doctor answered him, "I guess I was just having a bad day that day." And the judge answers, "Hey, I don't see why a man that saved so many lives should get, go to prison. He's free to go." Would that be fair? No, it would not be fair. By the way, that's how you're saved, by the way. I just, that's our story, by the way. We might not have murdered anybody, but we are sinners that do not deserve heaven. Have you ever hated anybody? I think we can all say we've hated before. According to Jesus, you have murdered someone. According to Jesus, you've murdered. It's not fair. You see, God doesn't judge on a curve, you know. I love the fact, I, it blows my mind, by the way, that, that now in school, kids take exams. probably happened in my day too, but they take exams. And say you're supposed to score a 95 to get an A, but everybody in the test only scores to a 90, the curve changes. Everybody now that scores a 90 gets an A, and the curve starts there. See, here's the problem with that is, and, and I experienced this this year, my uh, niece's uh, boyfriend couldn't come to, come to America because he failed. Do you know what? He failed by 1%. He had to reset the exam because he was. W- so that's what the curve does, and it, uh, that's 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 how God, God doesn't say, "Hey, you only scored this high, you're out, you're in." He loves us all if we accept Him, and He gives you the forgiveness that you need, not because you deserved it or scored the right score, but because of what. His son, Jesus Christ, did for you. So now if you accept him, he doesn't look at you like you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus Christ. You have his life pasted upon your life and your life deleted. And that's what he sees when he looks at you. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And at the time you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were justified. You can't be any more justified than you were that day. You were saved at that point. But you're being sanctified. He's going to use this world to sanctify you. To make you more like Christ. See, we all need forgiveness and the good news is that Jesus did come and he paid all all of our sin. Past, present, and guess what? Future sins. Because we're still good at it and we still sin. So he didn't stop at only your past sin. Oh, I came to Christ and now I can sin no more. It's physically impossible. So God doesn't put that boundary on us, he says, look, this is going to happen. So when it happens, you need to come to me and you need to give it to me. You need to repent, which means to turn away. And if you have to repent from the same sin over and over again, you need to repent of it. Sometimes it takes many times of saying, God, you need to take this from me. I keep doing it. I keep, it keeps messing with me. Please take it away. See, we cannot buy it with our good actions. If you believe the Bible, and I do, your best actions are like dirty rags to God. I think that's because God can see our motives. We we have motives when we do stuff. We like the pat on the back. We like to be told, that's a good job. So why are you doing what you're doing? Is it because you like the affirmation? Or are you actually doing it for His glory? But the good news is, the real good we do, where we don't want any credit from us, God, gives a, God gave us a gift when we got saved and it's called the Holy Spirit. And when we get saved, when we've put our faith in Christ because we needed the forgiveness, he gives you the Holy Spirit and all your good works are not you doing them, it's him. He's working through you because he doesn't need any credit. through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, I told you, God is about reconciling stuff. He has reconciled you to him, and now he wants you to reconcile to the other people in your life and your, your surrounding world. See, we need to seek forgiveness. Forgiveness. We need forgiveness from God, but we need to seek forgiveness. See, we have to realize forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not something we feel. See, that's the problem. We think it's something I have to feel else I can't do it. It's a deliberate act of the will. It's forgiveness. For Christians, the forgiveness we show to others is based on the fact that we ourselves have been forgiven. It's the only way we can forgive. See, can you imagine for a second? Let's think about the context of this letter to Philemon. You remember what I said last week. Who delivered the letter? Philemon. Onesimus delivered it to Philemon. There was probably at least one other person with him. But he's the one who had the letter. To, he would have been the one that, 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 that gave it. And he's lucky there. So Paul had wrote this letter to Philemon saying, "Hey, Hey, buddy, I want you to forgive this person. Oh, and by the way, that person is standing right in front of you. Right now. Right now. What did Onesimus do to, be, to, act, to get forgiveness? Nothing. Did he ask for it? No. Paul is, is saying to Philemon, forgive him. He didn't, make, he didn't say, Onesimus, tell him what you've done wrong to him. Name everything that you've done. He said, Philemon, Forgive Onesimus. He's standing right there. So you can imagine Onesimus walking into the room. I said last week, I think he's trembling. As he hands a letter to Philemon. Now imagine being Philemon's shoes. In walks this man who sinned against you and has ran away from you. And now he's standing in front of you with a letter from the Apostle Paul of all people. He's like Apostle Paul. He's up there. When, it, when you've got a letter from the Apostle Paul, that's a big deal. That's like if you had a letter from the president right now, you'd think it was a big deal whether you like him or not. You know? It's a letter from the president. But a letter from Paul is, is like, wow, this is a letter from Paul. And Paul didn't write many personal letters. This is a personal letter from Paul. Now he opens the letter and begins to read. And he reads the greeting and he's like, wow, that's a nice greeting. He reads Paul's prayers and encouragements. And then he gets to the part when Paul is saying, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to receive him like you would receive me. And the him, he's talking about, is standing right there. He didn't do anything but tremble and stand there. Because he didn't know how this was going to go down. It's not as if Paul couldn't have emailed him, you know. Hey, hey, buddy. I'm shooting you an email or a text. Hey, I'm sending an with a letter and you need to read it. But remember, Anismus is going to be there so act like a Christian. You know? So you may want to think about this. You may want to pray about it. You maybe want to read Matthew 6, 6, 9 through 14. And think what Jesus would want you to do in this situation. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And by the way, that's not a prayer. That is a model of a prayer. It, it's called the Lord's Prayer. We should know it, and it's okay to pray it. I'm not saying that. And I think sometimes when we pray something over and over again, we forget the real meaning of it. Okay? And he said, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I will tell you this. I think this prayer was taught, taught to people who believed in Jesus. So, these debts that he's talking about are not the debt of salvation, the forgiveness of salvation. This isn't, look, if I don't forgive my the people in my life, I'm not going to be saved. No, 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 no. You were saved when you were justified. But are you still sinning? Do you still want God to forgive you of them sins? Okay. And, 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 and he's saying, I'm not going to do it if you don't forgive the people in your life. Notice that the, here, he says, forgive us our debts, like we're asking God for it. But he says this afterwards, as we also have, that means already done, We've already done the forgiving others part. See, now he's reading this letter, and on the spot, he has to make a decision. Philemon has a decision to make right then and there. And Paul is saying, receive him like you would me. So why is it so important to forgive and be forgiven? See, Jesus said in Matthew 6.12, it's on the screen. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. Jesus says, and I just read it. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Notice here what Jesus just said. I think these words have become so common. We don't stop and think about what we are saying. We just spew words out. It's actually like our worship, by the way, sometimes. I think we sing worship songs and we don't realize what we're actually singing or saying because we sing them so often. and that is a problem see but Jesus emphasizes this point he emphasizes this point in the next two verses 14 and 15 by saying this and lead us not into and for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you he's like this is an explanation mark they didn't have it in Greek by the way they didn't have explanation marks in the Greek So this is Jesus' explanation, Mark. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why did he hit again on the same point that he just taught them? See, you could be like General Oglethorpe who said this, I'll never forgive. General Oglethorpe said to John Wesley, and this is what Gen, that John Wesley said to him. Then I hope, sir, replied Wesley, you never sin. See, I personally think it must be something all believers do. And if you read Matthew 6, it said, As we also have forgive our debtors, we can't hold on to bitterness, it doesn't do us any good. See, but how can we do this when we've been hurt so much? And I think this sometimes, not all times, we seem to think we're the victim. So we try to justify our actions in the situation. We tell ourselves they deserve it if we, we, we are the ones that need forgiveness. We say, oh, they deserve what I did. The other person is saying they're justifying their actions that we're justifying on both sides and it doesn't make any headway because everybody's trying to make themselves out to be that they did no wrong. You ever been in one of them arguments? All the time. See, we say that we, we, they owe me an apology but I don't think the Bible gives us that option. I don't think the Bible gives us an option Paul again writes in Ephesians 4:32 be gentle with one another sensitive, forgive one another as quickly as fully as God in Christ forgave you. How quick did God forgive you? He forgave you before you was even born and did you have to spew everything out to him? no guess what you had to do you had to say God, I accept your salvation. And he said, You're in. I forgive you. We'll get to all the confessing later. But right now, I'm going to forgive you. So how did Philemon forgive like he did? And I personally think he did forgive Onesimus. By the way, it doesn't tell you in the book. If you read it, you'd know that. It doesn't tell you that. that Because I think... If I got a letter from Paul and it asked me to do something, and I didn't do it, I would have destroyed that letter. I would have threw it in my fire, got rid of the evidence, pretended I never received it, killed Anisimus, and the book would have never made it into the Bible. But it's in the Bible. That would say that I think Philemon accepted isthmus just like he would have Paul. Not as a slave, but as a friend. See, and I might be going out and hanging out on a limb here, and I might be totally wrong, but I really believe that unless you are a follower of Christ, Saved by the grace of God being transformed each day by its power of the gospel. You can't forgive like this. At least not from the heart. Because he's telling you to forgive from the heart. Any of us can do the action of it. Any of us can say we forgive. When someone's standing right there in front of you... Can you say the right thing and act like you have forgiven them, but I'm talking about forgiving from the heart, really receiving them back like someone you have the utmost respect for because that's what the Bible's asking you to do. I want you right now to think of someone that has wronged you or have you have a grudge against And now I want to I want you to picture somebody that you have the utmost respect for. When they show up, you're supposed to receive them like you would receive the person with the utmost respect. We are called to forgive. I think this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to white, nickel, white knuckle that feeling, isn't it? To just try and get that feeling. But to do it from the heart is, I think, impossible. Unless your heart has been changed and you have been made a new creation by the gospel of Christ. See, unless you understand how the Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, has saved you and received you, I don't know where else you would find the resources. To live and forgive this way. But in this letter, th- this is what Paul is saying. This is how Christians live. Because we do understand how the, how the Father receives us. All I want to ask you is, can you do what Jesus taught you to do in Matthew 6-12? That's not me telling you to do something. That's Jesus telling you to do something. We desperately need to seek forgiveness. You have hurt people. I have hurt people. I need to seek the forgiveness for that. But if somebody's hurt you, you need to seek being forg- forgiving somebody. See, either from the people we've harmed or the people that have harmed us. We should know that love is a central element of following Jesus. First Corinthians thirteen four through 7. This is from the Message Bible. I thought I'd shake it up a little bit. So this is from the Message. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Cares more for others than self. You've got to remember that. This is how how Paul tells us we need to love. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't, isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of sins of others. Doesn't reveal, revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. Trusts God always always looks for the best and never looks back but keeps going to the end. So if we've accepted forgiveness from God, we need to seek forgiveness from others. And if we do, this forgiveness will free us. See, forgiveness frees us. Forgiveness frees us. It lets us start with ourselves. We, we need to start, though, with ourselves. See, we are forgiven because God has forgiven us. But our problem isn't that we're not forgiven. Our problem is that we haven't forgiven ourselves. I know many people that don't forgive themselves for what they've done in their life prior to accepting Christ or even since they've accepted Christ. They can't forgive themselves. Do you know what that's saying? When you can't do that, do you know what that says? That says, Jesus, you said it was finished, but it's not. I still have some work to do. You may as well spit in Jesus' face. When you can't forgive yourself, He's already forgiven you. Why are you holding on to it? You are already forgiven. Yes, we've all done some heinous things in our lives. But guess what? Christ was enough. You can't add to your salvation. See, we live in, a, in guilt for what we have done. Yet the Bible tells us in Romans 8.1 that there is therefore, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in G- Christ Jesus so, if there's no condemnation, why are we condemning ourselves? This means if you have accepted the grace which has been poured out on you and you believe the good news that Jesus lived a life that you could not and died a death that you should have and was raised from the grave for your sins, you are now have been set free. See, and if this is true, and it is, why would we keep picking up the trash that was in our lives before? See, we pick up all this trash and we're carrying it around. And if we're holding on to that, our hands aren't free to pick up the things that God wants to give us. Do you know, you, I'm going to share the story anyway, but I'm standing here. I'm running out of time. I don't care. It's Pastor Appreciation Day. I'm sorry. I'm going to abuse that to, to, right now. But, but I came to Christ 2003, the first Sunday of 2003. I had a lot of issues in my life. I had a lot of anger and rage towards my father because he abandoned me. And because of that, it was affecting my whole life, by the way. Because just because you've got rage for one person doesn't mean it doesn't come out everywhere in your life. I have built a coffee table more than 10 times. The same coffee table. More than 10 times. Because I, I didn't, I wasn't physical in that aspect. I would never hit Shelley, But I would break a lot of stuff. And uh, I built our coffee table. It it wasn't original by the time I was there. I don't think there was an original piece of wood in it by the time I'd finished. And and. It sounds funny, but it's not funny because it's something that was raging inside of me. And so when I became a Christian, I thought, God can help me here. So I went to David and asked for counsel. And he counseled me for two or three weeks. And he said, you really need to get your dad issues, basically, my daddy issues, sorted out. So he had... through these weeks, had counseled me and talked to me and, and wanted to know all these questions. And I had all these questions that I wanted to ask my dad, but when he was in the room, I couldn't ask him. So luckily David was there because he asked him. And luckily David was there because when he answered him stupidly, David shut him up and said, all your kids aren't here, just Ed. So you're talking to Ed, not all your kids. You're not asking forgiveness for all your kids because it's just Ed. Focus on Ed. So... During that thing, I told my dad, I gave him lip service and told him I forgave him. Two years. Two whole years. I think they were wasted years now. Two years, I was still angry at my dad. I was still bitter towards my dad. And then one day, I read a book, couldn't even tell you what the book is. That's how good it was. But there was a chapter in that book that said, God knows everything. It's when I realized that God's omniscient, he knows everything. And if God knows everything, he knew that my dad was going to leave me. He put my mom and dad together. He knew they were going to have four children together. He knew I was going to be one of them. He knew he was going to leave me. He knew he was going to move to America. Rockford, and then one day, his son was going to move here and meet the love of his life eight days after he got here, and that kept him here, and he knew all of that, and then I'm like, do you know what I say, my dad was a sucky dad, but he was the best dad he could be, but I'll tell you this, the last 20 years of his life, after we reconciled, He was the best dad. And we both had problems, by the way, not just him. But we reconciled our life, and and God used all of that to bring me to this church. He allowed my dad to leave because he wanted me in Rockford. He wanted me standing at this pulpit preaching today. So the pain that I went through, that's why when people say we go through pain, pain grows us and it puts us where we're supposed to be. And I know that's how God moves us. It's never easy. I've read the Bible. I know it's not easy. Everybody uses, they, they not, it, nothing's really easy. But I'm here today because of the true forgiveness. Because the day I actually told them, two years after that, that I forgave him. The day I told him, the next day, I felt called to ministry. That's why I say sometimes we... we. I said it earlier in the time. Sometimes we don't do something that we're supposed to do. And it holds back what God has planned for our life. See, when you realize God has set you free... Why would you pick that old life up again? See, Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And knowing that we are forgiven sets us free. Free from our past so we can live for the future. And if we forgive others from the heart... It will heal the wounds that will set us free. Because if you think about when you don't forgive, you also become a prisoner. But we, we need to work on forgiving like Jesus forgave. And how is that, you ask? Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my sake, for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Do you think God has a problem with his memory? I don't think so. He does not remember your sins because he chooses not to. I'm not saying this is going to be easy to forgive someone who has hurt you. But just think of Jesus on the cross, arms stretched out, saying, I forgive you, not because I must, but because I love you. And if you say you are a Christian, Jesus says we are to love one another and more than once says we must forgive. So going back to to the text Jackie read for us, Peter asked Jesus a question. How many times should I forgive? And that seven times 70 is infinite, by the way. That's an infinite number of times. People are going to be offended. I'm going to offend you guys. You're going to offend me. But we need to learn to forgive each other. Not hold on to bitterness. Because all it does is hold you back for what God has planned for your life. And if you still don't get this, you don't understand what you've been saved from and what you've been forgiven from. And I really feel sorry for you. If you don't get this, if you don't get that you need to forgive the people that hurt you in your life, I feel sorry for you because somehow you, didn't, you think that you're better than someone else. And you deserve what Jesus did for you. I know I'm way over and I don't care again. I've got a video and it's important that you watch it. Because this is what forgiveness looks like. Let's stand